Welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 10. We'll be discussing the Farscape episode, They've Got a Secret. I'm Kay here with my co-host, Taz. Hello, everyone. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of They've Got a Secret. While removing Peacekeeper Tech from Moya, Dargo causes an explosion that shoots him out into space. When they get him back aboard, two main problems arise. Dargo sees the crew as people from his past, and Moya starts starving them of the resources necessary to survive. The crew race to stop Moya from killing them all, while Dargo faces his demons by talking about the crime he's serving time for. So I've forgotten how much I actually really like this episode. It's kind of quiet, and I think that's part of why it gets forgotten, yet it sets up these two major plot lines for the show, each of which is one of the major secrets that is uncovered over the course of the episode. And we'll get to those in a minute, but I want to start with talking about the trope that we see here, where the ship is turning on its occupants. So you see this sci-fi trope in a lot of different shows. There's a virus that gets into the computer system, they get locked out, or they're sabotaged. Um, but I don't think it's really been done better than Farscape has done it, because Moya is alive and she has her own mind and this episode really hinges around the fact that she chooses to shut down the systems that the crew needs to survive. Yeah, it's very how, you know, except whereas in Space Odyssey there was the interaction, I think a major conflict here is that the crew can't communicate with Moya because Unlike a computer system where they could technically go in and look at the code and figure out what's going on and figure out there's a computer virus or something like that, because Moya is a living ship, they get, um, there's the only way they can communicate with Moya is through Pilot. So when Pilot shuts down and almost dies, they have no way to communicate with the ship. It's very scary. It is very scary because it's like the body you trusted is no longer able to be trusted. And it's interesting that you mentioned the virus here because that's immediately their first theory about what's going on here. Um, so the setup that we have is they're taking out Peacekeeper Tech and Dargo <laughs> kicks the hell out of this Peacekeeper shield thing and <laughs> releases these like these little tiny globule things into to, to the air around Moya. And so after that accident, that's when she starts shutting down, shutting down the systems they need. Yeah. Okay. On a scale of putting on an unknown gauntlet that shoots you up with an unknown drug to cutting off your own pinky finger in order to tell who's who, how <laughs> bad would you rate Dargo's plan of while he's like literally about to fall into space, he's, he's literally just holding on with his arms and he's like, oh, there's a peacekeeper tech right there. And he literally just kicks it out. And that's what shoots him out <laughs> into space. In his defense, his ripping out of Peacekeeper things to get the control collar off actually maybe worked. <laughs> okay, but my point here is he's just, the way it's shot is, okay, so it starts with him literally ripping out this thing that electrocutes him and that causes him to fall down this, like, slip and slide corridor. It looks like this chute that just goes, like, down the spine of Moya or something right out into space. Yeah, like, straight out into space. Like, one end is Moya, the other end is space. And he's halfway down the chute, which is almost vertical. It's, it's very much like a slide. And then he's like, oh, Peacekeeper Tech. And he, like, kicks it and kicks it and kicks it. And then it, like, 
explodes, and then he's out in space for 30 minutes. I'm leaning towards, this is more along the lines of, let's cut each other's pinky pinky fingers off. (laughs) That's the edge of this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it definitely tends more towards that end of it. But he's already so fed up with having to do these these sweeps to get all this peacekeeper tech off. And he's already angry and upset. So, of course, he's going to take out his anger on the closest thing that he can find, which is this shield thing. (laughs) And Targo is, like, so bad at taking tech out. I'm like, why are you having Dargo do this? He's so bad. (laughs) Oh, Dargo. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, Dargo. And meanwhile, Aaron and John are getting along very well mm-hmm. and helping each other out. It opens on Aaron sitting on John's shoulders, which is really cute. And they get shocked, right? You know, she gets a little bit of an electrical shock and it goes right through both of them. It's really cute. Uh, do you think they're getting along better just because of what happened in the last episode with, with um, DNA Mad Scientist? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, that episode, that's the second time Aaron's been really vulnerable and had to ask Crichton for help. And I think also they really connected over them both kind of being left out of this, of the DNA mad scientist plot of them getting a map home. And so they're kind of, they're in it together. And the fact that John is the one that comes and helps her out and they basically have their own mini adventure together. I think that really made a difference mm-hmm. for the relationship. Yeah. Because that's one of the things I really love about this episode is the, especially the first few minutes where Aaron and John are are just talking with each other about what's going on and they're helping each other out when all these little things start to go wrong. But they're they're very calm with each other and Aaron isn't insulting John at all about most of it. Mm-hmm. I do want to play a quick clip from from that point in the episode where things are relatively normal because it's when John Rila is kind of re-realizing that they're inside a living ship and Aaron Aaron has this interesting confrontation with him that I kind of want to get into. Man, I'm never going to get used to walking around inside a living ship. You have nothing similar in your culture. Well, John and the whale, but no, no, contemporary parallels. Except maybe the horse and rider. Rider? Horse to beast of burden? Yeah, not as large or as sophisticated as Moy here, but kind of similar, loyal and intelligent. That you capture and make work for you? Yeah, but we love them too. You love what you enslave? We don't enslave them. All right, we, all right. Fine, we enslave them. <laughs> yeah, I really like that, cause, because they're starting to realize that Moy is behaving weird and this realization that she's alive and then thinking about how people relate to the living creatures that they interact with, you know? Mm-hmm. One of the interesting elements I kind of want to get into is that John always defines himself as being different from peacekeepers. Like so much of the way he defines humanness is how different they are from sedations and peacekeepers. And Aaron is always looking for a way to kind of make them very similar. Like here, where she's, where John is like, oh yeah, you know, we're, you know, kind of different, blah, blah, blah. And then Aaron is like, well, you guys have horses (laughs) and we have just giant horses. (laughs) Yeah, she won't let him get away with trying to be superior to the peacekeepers. Like she's not going to admit that he has the moral superiority in these kinds of situations. They're different, yes, but they're still doing the same kinds of behaviors. The same way that they treat other creatures, the same way that they do other things. Yeah, it's good. 
And so that kind of gets us back to, though, because uh, immediately after they have this discussion, they run into some DRDs that are acting weird, and the DRDs actually end up gluing Aaron to the floor and almost, you know, <laughs> gluing her face shut. John refers to it as like a Hitchcock feature. <laughs> and, and he it, ends up one of the DRDs, like the glue stick basically glued to his hand and her boot glued to his hand. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty good. And so we, we begin to see, at first, it's just kind of those weird little things. But then Pilot begins acting really weird. And then Moya turns off the air and she turns off the refrigeration. And it happens really slowly, these things, which is one of the one of the kind of cool things about this episode. Because it's so slow to build. You're right, this is a very quiet episode. Even the really exciting things are kind of slow and they're things that involve agreement between the crew and it's there's this moment later on where he runs into a flock of drds and he's like shut down the drds and aaron is able to just shut down the drds and so there's not like this huge impetus for things to like happen happen but it's just it still feels like a very intense episode yeah the sense of urgency is not the same that we usually get in these types of episodes the stakes do do rise you know, as you said, with the, the different systems shutting down, but there's never this there's never this sense of impending doom that's about to befall all of them in the same way that we get in some of the other episodes. Mm-hmm. So with Pilot, it's kind of becomes very clear in this episode how much Pilot does to keep Moya's systems in line so people can live aboard her. And I got to give mad props to the puppetry too, because you know you see his eyebrows move when he's in distress as he's slowly being starved of nutrients and the voice acting is also really well done here and you really get the sense that pilot's struggling and it's really struggling to to keep things in line and keep things balanced but he's failing and eventually he falls unconscious and one of my favorite continuity bits though is again from DNA Mad Science is when Aaron is actually able to figure out how to kind of work some of Moya's systems in Pilot's Den. So she's the one who goes on checks on him. And and she's like, I think this is one that's going to work. And she pushes down one of the things and it helps stabilize the ship. And I think that's just a really cool character note that they've they've built from the past episodes. Mm-hmm. And the show does a really good job of kind of having like John and Zan have this conversation about like, oh, well, she still remembers from the DNA and... You know, Zan's like, well, that was flushed out of her system. And John was like, yeah, was it? <laughs> it's good. Yeah. And having Aaron in that position of being a pseudo pilot sets up one of the more gritty things that happen in this episode. Because once Moya starts shutting down the systems and they realize that it's not a virus, it's not her acting under the control of somebody else. It's not something weird going on that Moya is consciously trying to kill them, or if not kill them, at least essentially smother them or asphyxiate them. They have to have this conversation about what they're willing to do to survive, given that they're living inside a living creature. You know, John compares them to bacteria, but I would probably compare it more to like, you know, a a parasite maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, well, or symbiotic, symbiotic yeah. parasites or something like that. Here, let's play the clip. You missed that Hitchcock picture playing back there a little while ago, but a block of these little guys just tried to kill me. They're not shooting glue anymore. Could this be related to what we've been calling the virus? No, no, you're right. It's not a virus. These guys aren't biomechanoid. They're entirely mechanical. Wires, gears, servos. No, a virus wouldn't have any effect at all. No, they only do 
what someone tells them to do. The pilot is unconscious. Pilot isn't the only one who controls them. Moya? You're saying that that Moya ordered the DRDs to try to kill you? The DRDs, the shutdown of the environmentals. Do you think that Moya was causing all of this? Moya has an independent intellect, right? Well, maybe the explosion that Dargo was involved in short-circuited that. Or maybe she consciously cut off Pilot's resources in order to prevent him from keeping us alive. Our beloved ship may be trying to kill us. Yeah, I just think it's a really interesting scene because it goes back to what you were saying earlier of unlike this being a mechanical thing, for example, that episode of Firefly where their ship shuts down. I forget why, but, you know, their ship shuts down and, you know, then the whole episode is kind of a bottle episode. But that moment when they realize that Moya is actively trying to kill them, the way the the scene is shot, the camera is kind of spinning around them. It's Zan, Aaron, and, and John all crowded around a little table and they're kind of speaking in this low whisper voice and it keeps the camera just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning and it it shoots like a murder plot do you know what i mean yeah it's very claustrophobic it's i love that scene yeah and it's it's really good because initially they were like oh it's a virus and john kind of jumps on that early on and aaron and xander both kind of like you know well don't call it a virus until we have actual evidence it's a virus but he's like no it's a virus it's a virus so then when they realize it's not, it just, it, you're right, claustrophobic is a really good word because it gets kind yeah. of, ugh. Yeah, well, them jumping on the virus theory, I mean, from a practical standpoint, it doesn't change much how they approach solving the problem. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, one reason why they go along with it. There's actually a really interesting discussion of how viruses and disease work out in the uncharted territories, out in this part of the galaxy, and how it's such a different approach. Like for John, it's so commonplace to immediately jump to, oh, Moya has a cold. You know, she's got a virus. We need to figure out what it is and expel it somehow. Help her out her immune system. Whereas Aaron's perspective on it is is much different. She doesn't know what it is. She wants to wait for results because viruses are not the first thing that she would think of. Mm-hmm. And I think actually Pilot says sabotage, like someone's deliberately messing with Moya's systems. Mm-hmm. Let's actually play that quote because there's an interesting character note for Aaron in them. Aaron, you were born to this. I mean, this science, you've had it your whole life. You have no idea how advanced it all is to me. I think I do. No, I don't think so. Disease and death are rampant on my world. Bacteria and viruses destroy crops, animals, people at, at incalculable rates. Well, each ecosystem has its own logic, so maybe yours is a simpler way of keeping populations under control. No. No, 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 this is a better way. The suffering that you've managed to avoid with your science is immeasurable. Creatures still die out here, and we find new ways to suffer and to make others suffer. Well, I never said Earth had a monopoly on that. But you say that you want to go back to this place, Earth, a place that you tell me has so much disease and suffering. Well, you guys don't have chocolate. Ugh. There's a couple of really good Aaron things in there. And the first is that this is really the first time that she has admitted that things under peacekeeper rule are not perfect and are not necessarily preferable to the way human things are. And the other is that this is a much more generous way of looking at humanity and Earth than she's ever been before. Because instead of being like, yeah, we do it better than you. 
we cure viruses. We're be- we're way better. She kind of gives him the out <laughs> of being like, you know, maybe this is just your ecosystem way of doing population control. And he's the one that actually admits that the peacekeeper way might be better in this in this circumstance or that the, I guess, charted territories way might be better. Yeah. And then she asks him, like, why would you want to ever go back to this place? Mm -hmm. Because it's such a threat to you. Why do you want to go to this really harsh environment is basically what she's saying. You know, it's his home. He can't not want to go back there. Yeah, it's a really interesting byplay because this is a softer Aaron than we've seen before. This is a gentler relationship than they've had before. It's not as confrontational as we see as we've seen before and I think that that kind of sets the tone going forward a little bit because even, you know, in some future episodes she's not quite as harsh as she has been in the past. Yeah. So they find out that Moya is trying to kill them. And then that leads to this moment where they have to decide how far they're willing to go to survive. And I have this kind of unformed question about how far the crew is willing to go to survive, given how far they've already gone. Well, survival is a very powerful motivator for for doing anything, you know. And you can definitely see that play out here because what they're threatening to do with Moya is essentially cut off her higher thinking function so that she would be a zombie. And it's, it's a really... You know, I was a little uncomfortable with that. Were you uncomfortable with that? I was incredibly uncomfortable. I want to play the quote first, just so that we know okay. that they're no longer talking about like putting her under a control collar. And you can, you can listen to Aaron explain it. I can't do it. I can't get through. There's no way to shut down Moya's higher functions. But I do have access. I can cut the connections. Cut them? Permanently? This isn't my decision alone. If I do this, we all have to be a part of it. Cut him. What you don't see in that quote is when John says, right before John says cut him, he's getting nods from both Zan and Dargo about, yes, this is, this is what we need to do in order to not be shot full of holes by the DRDs or starved out or basically have all their air sucked away. And there's two things here. And the first is that Aaron asks and everyone and says, okay, this has to be a group decision. I'm not going to take responsibility for this by myself. And especially in light of, of how they treated Pilot in the last episode, Anne and Dargo and Rigel by cutting off his arm against his will, you know, this is a step beyond that. They're talking about cutting off Moya's ability to think from her capabilities of doing anything. So it's lobotomizing her, making her into a zombie. And it's a really, really drastic step. And so Aaron's like, okay, we have to be super sure that this is actually what we are going to do and are going to make this decision. Because, you know, Moya is this, so far has been characterized as this gentle beast of burden, essentially, who takes care of her crew. And it's like feeling like you have to put down like a pet. I mean, that's not really a great way to say it, but there's that kind of sense of, of, you know, the mercy kill. Mm. But there's this sinister side that it's not just the mercy. It's not really mercy. It's more about survival. Yeah, I don't actually, I didn't actually feel the mercy element to it, I'll be honest, just because it's not a mercy kill. We've talked about how they're kind of in a symbiotic relationship with Moya, but it's not even that. They're literally just creatures that exist within her. She would be 100% fine without them. They do, honestly, very little to help her survive. Except for installing the defense screen, they do very, very little to help her in any way, shape, or form. Even Pilot is really only there to make sure that Moya is suitable for inhabitants. 
And yeah. I think that we've been we've been given the impression that Moya has these vast data stores and she knows more about the universe than any of them do. And she does have her own version of higher brain functions and she doesn't have language the same way that they do. But I think that within her own species, I'm sure they have ways of communicating. I just think it's I, I don't think it's a mercy kill. I think it's I think at this point it's it's a very dark because they are talking about killing an intelligent being for their survival. Yeah, I think I, I use the term mercy kill more that that's usually how we treat pets. Mm -hmm. When people are killing, well, people on earth are killing their pets, it's usually because they're sick or something like that, and it's out of mercy. And that's kind of where the analogy was, I was trying to draw mm -hmm. came from. But I agree with you, It's there's nothing kind about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. It's very much self-serving for them. And your point about I really like your point about, you know, she would be fine without them because actually with them, she gets into more danger and more trouble than she ever would without mm -hmm. them. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, I like Moya, <laughs> even though we have very little characterization <laughs> for her. I just feel such empathy for her. Kind of goes back to that helplessness that we see in DNA Mad Scientist yeah. where Aaron confronts Zane and Darga being like, Pilot is helpless. And I'm like, the creature that's almost even more helpless than Pilot is Moya. Oh, completely. She can't even talk to them as we yeah. brought up already. And I mean, her species only has one defensive capability, and that is to run away. She's essentially the gazelle of the <laughs> of the charted territories. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. So we find out that the reason that Moya is starving them is <laughs> Dargo impregnated her. <laughs> <laughs> Dargo, you're now father again. <laughs> There's this great reveal where you have John climbing down the access shaft that Dargo went down and he gets to a room. And this is as Aaron is in the process of severing Moya's brainstem and he discovers a baby Leviathan. And you're right that I was really uncomfortable with the discussion of killing Moya because eventually she does essentially start cutting into, let's call it Moya's brainstem, you know? And I'm like, even if she didn't mm -hmm. fully sever Moya's brainstem, Unless Moya has some regenerative capabilities that we are not aware of, that would still do some damage. Yeah, some serious damage to it. So given given the baby reveal, do you think that it was kind of within Moya, Moya's purview to cut them off to feed her baby? Well, yeah. I mean, pregnancy is something that changes the body, and I'm sure it changes the body in unexpected ways, even for Moya. I mean, we, she's never been pregnant before, as far as we know. So there's suddenly this biological imperative that takes over. And I could definitely see her prioritizing that at the beginning, especially if it's something surprising and it makes her scared because we know that Moya can get scared very easily. Again, because she's so helpless and she doesn't have very many defenses and doesn't have any defenses against the people inside of her either. So yeah, I think it does make sense. And I think that's what I like about this episode. It is a reason that makes sense for her to choose to starve them out for this very critical period. I mean, it's, that's how it's framed as a very critical period right after conception. They do eventually are able to talk with her through it. And I, I like that there, that there isn't blame associated with it either. If anything, Moya should be blaming the crew for trying to kill her. But the crew never blames her for trying to kill them. And I think that's a really nice touch. And even Pilot says it's in the past. We're over it. We're done when, once he comes, becomes mm -hmm. awake again. So yeah, I think it does make sense. It's a good, solid reason that has consequences that play out, which is also really nice mm -hmm. to see. And so you don't have to manufacture any stupid little reasons <laughs> for things to happen. So you've got a gestation period that gives you plenty of time for, for things to go wrong just because it's mm -hmm. a pregnancy. Yeah. I think it is neat that we tend to gender 
a lot of things and you tend to gender women, like, like ships are women and it's because men ride ships. I don't know, whatever. But, um, <laughs> but I really do like the kind of, that the, the Farscape writers here are kind of playing out the consequences of that. Of, okay, Moya is a living being. Yeah. So let's say that she has gender, which means let's say she's a woman. Hey, and you know what happens? Sometimes women get pregnant. You know, and this isn't it isn't just kind of like, a, yeah, it isn't kind of like that TV show Andromeda. I don't know. It was this really bad Kevin Sorbo show. Oh, God. Was that Kevin yeah, Sorbo. Kevin Sorbo. When he was like, oh, God, super, I think I watched like one he episode. He was like super aged. <laughs> and you're like, oh, Kevin Sorbo. He actually there was like a much more attractive man on the show than him who was like a really charismatic actor and who people enjoyed watching. And Kevin Sorbo had him kicked off the show. <laughs> Jeez, I did not know that. But so anyway, so Kevin Sorbo's ship was like a woman. It was like a female AI. But there was never really any consequences to that. Like it it wouldn't have mattered if she was a woman or a man. It was just she got to be a woman because then they got to dress her in sexy clothing. Do you know what I mean? So I just find this more Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a lot more interesting. So let's get to the Dargo plotline real quick. So Dargo knocked, kicked off into space, comes back. John tries to give him CPR, and everybody is screaming at him, what are you doing? <laughs> so it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. So, per, so a little bit of a culture note, alien note on Dargo. Luxons can survive in a vacuum. They say for a quarter arn. He survives for about 30 minutes, from what we can tell. So a little bit, he survives a little bit longer than that. So Dargo was a badass space vacuum <laughs> survivor. And, but the, the consequences are he gets, you know, deep freeze. I can't remember what they call it, but some sort of deep mm-hmm. freeze. And his memory gets addled because of it. So he starts kind of living in his own past. And he starts basically projecting onto all these crewmates people from his past. So he starts calling Zan Lolan. And he starts calling Rigel Jothi. And he starts calling John mm-hmm. Macton. So through these interactions, we slowly get to learn more about Dargo's past, more about why he was imprisoned and why he ended up on Moya in the first place as a prisoner mm. of the peacekeepers. What did you think about the conceit of Dargo seeing the crew as his family members? I really liked it because it gave us something physical to look mm. at. You know, it's not like he was just hallucinating or lost in his own head because from a storytelling point of view on a TV show, of course, you need something visual to really interact with and really have things come out. And I like that it, it gave us these little these little insights so you didn't get the whole picture at once. So you got these little bits with Lolan and he's calling Zan beautiful as Lolan. And then he's with Rigel. He's messing around with him like with a kid. And it turns out to be he's seeing Jothi, his son, and Rigel. So I really like that you kind of get these little pieces that you eventually put together into the whole story that actually John and Zan stage an intervention for Dargo because they need to talk to him about the accident to find where the mm. problem happened. And so they kind of stage an intervention and force him to relive this whole incident of events that we've gotten these pieces of to figure out, okay, Lolan was his wife and she had married Dargo and they had a kid, and her family disapproved, and so they ran away to this place where they could be away from her family. I'm going to play one of the clips that I pulled for this, where he's telling Rigel as Jothi, you know, I understand that this is difficult. I, uh, I think I know why you're upset. You're old enough now to realize that, uh, well, we're outsiders here. And you look 
different to the others, and they're treating you like a stranger. Strangers, right. Well, I know exactly how you feel. You know, when your mother's family first saw me... What about my mother? They despised me. So that's why we had to get away. Not far enough. Well, we came to a place where no one could tell us what we thought and felt was wrong. Well, I'm telling you, you're wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Oh, I love you, son. Son? You think I'm your son? My son. No matter what happens, I will always love you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just love, I love Rigel that. being like, you're wrong. <laughs> what are you talking about, my mother? <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk about my mother. Yeah, so Rigel being being on the other side of that's just perfect because his own childishness feeds into this scenario, this scene that that Dargo is playing out. But yeah, so so you know that episode, Thank God It's Friday again at the end when he's talking with Zan about the simple life of being a farmer and not being a warrior, and we find out here that Dargo did have this very domestic life that he he fought for. You know, he put himself and his family in a situation that was away from their disproving family members so they could get away and actually live out this this dream scenario of his. I, I think it's really telling that he picked John to be his brother-in-law and not just because John was, you know, the only man of relatively appropriate height <laughs> in the vicinity. Though I do yeah, think I mean, that's I part of it. I think it was definitely part of it, that he had, you know, certain set pieces and Aaron was kind of out of the picture because she was playing pilot. But I think that it kind of speaks to this tension that we still feel between John and Dargo, where even though they're shipmates and they're crewmates and sometimes they have, you know, funny bits together, that there's still this, this very male tension between the two of them. You know, and it's and it still goes back to I think yeah. Dargo's I don't know wanting to be alphaness Dargo's luxiness let's call it yeah yeah and also the tension not just because of of the alphaness but also just the the rancor that they still have like Dargo still does not like John very much he's he's still very much the outsider he's still the one that is goofy and he doesn't not very technologically advanced and dismissive and he talks back to Dargo which Dargo <laughs> doesn't like so there's <laughs> Their relationship is still extremely mm -hmm. rocky and contentious, even outside of, of what we find out. You know, the man, Macdon, is Lolan's brother, and he killed her and then framed Dargo for it. And that's the crime that he was in prison for, falsely killing his wife. And this is especially significant because we also learn, because Dargo keeps a family portrait in his chest, more than that in a second... <laughs> But yeah, so he pulls out the family portrait of his wife and his son, and his wife is mm -hmm. actually Sebastian. And so he's part of a mixed family, and that and sheds a new light on all of on all of Dargo's, you know, animosity for the peacekeepers mm -hmm. and their culture and their people in general is like, whoa! There's this whole new lens now that we can look at his behavior towards Aaron, mm -hmm. for instance, through, and that's you know he loved a Sebastian woman whose brother was conscripted. And then he bought into the peacekeeper mentality of Sebastians being above every other every yeah. other species. And then Dargo paid that price. I don't price. know that we're actually... I don't know that Macton was actually conscripted, though, because he really seems to have drunk the Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? So this is my question, then. 
So if he wasn't conscripted, how would he have a sister? Because anyone who was born on a ship, like Aaron was, they they weren't supposed to have family But maybe, ties. yeah, you're right. I mean, I definitely think the sister was clearly a civilian. And the family was probably civilians. But I do think that even though the two extremes we've been shown are born into Peacekeeper or conscripted into Peacekeeper, there does have to be a middle ground somewhere in between there of maybe people that volunteer to be Peacekeepers. Because I think, you okay, know, because, be. yeah, Crace is all like, oh, you've been irreversibly contaminated and blah, 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 blah. But you kind of get the feeling that that is more about him thinking of a way to punish Aaron for speaking up against him mm-hmm. rather than, and because he hates John so much, rather than him kind of fundamentally believing that. I don't know. Yeah. I could also see, though, that if you conscript a child and train them to be a soldier, I mean, I could definitely see them imprinting mm-hmm. hard on that culture. And also there's the range of personality that yeah, goes with but it. So if Macton was conscripted, why wasn't the land conscripted? Because it's not like they don't have female peacekeepers. True, but maybe they didn't find that she was suitable. Maybe there's some sort of test that both Bialar and his brother, they both passed it and the land didn't yeah, for true. whatever Maybe it's reason. because she likes Luxons too much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, really, this is complaining about minute details because the writers want yeah. family ties <laughs> driving yeah. all of this. And it makes it really hard to do with how they later talk about the peacekeepers. Anyway, the reveal scene is so great when when Zan and John confront Dargo, because at that moment, <laughs> he's with Rigel slash Jothy. <laughs> and <laughs> so there's this moment where Rigel, even though he's been like playing with Dargo and he's been like hating it, he hasn't actually been putting the pieces together in the same way that Zan and John have. He's just kind of been like, you're weird. This is weird. Let me go. <laughs> And <laughs> yeah, brings right. a whole new meaning to the term babysitting. So, Rigel is sitting there and when he sees Zan and Dargo kissing, there's this expression on his face. Like he kind of ships it. Like he kind of ships Zan and, and Dargo together. He's like, yeah, you guys, you know, he kind of ships it. And then his expression yeah. throughout the whole scene is really spot on because I think it's the it's supposed to be the audience's feelings as well. Because, you know, he gasps when he finds out that mm-hmm. Macton killed his sister and he's really angry when he finds out that Dargo is in prison for it. He's It's really, it's good puppetry, number one. But it's also just an interesting Rigel character note because you kind mm-hmm. of get the feeling that he's looking at this like theater. Like it's something that they're putting on for him, for his personal yeah. entertainment. <laughs> Well, they kind of are. I mean, not necessarily for his personal entertainment, but it is theater because Zan mm-hmm. plays along as being Lulan. You know, she doesn't try and disabuse Dargo of his notion anytime. She asks a few questions, but she just goes along with it. And uh, John does too in that intervention scene. They're playing a role mm-hmm. to try and try and draw Dargo out of it. Yeah, it's a really... Rigel is... Rigel's the comic good. relief in this episode, or one of those forces of comic relief. Oh, man. Uh, like, I, I get that there are some people that hate Rigel, but I'm like, oh, my God, Rigel is just so hilarious. I think you just kind of have to take him as he is, you know? Yeah, you really do. You really do. So the Dargo reveal gets us this really great Aaron and Dargo moment at the very end that I want to oh, play. Oh, God, I love that. Yeah, let's play it. May I see her? Quite beautiful. Does it surprise you that such a Sebastian woman would love me? Dargo, it's ingrained in peacekeepers from birth that we must keep the bloodlines pure. 
Such unions are evil. Do you therefore think that my son is evil? No. Because in his eyes, I see you. Dargo, no matter what happens to us, I will never tell anyone about your son. Oh. Oh, this is like the culmination of so many episodes of the two of them building this friendship between them. And she's she's so respectful of his pain and his loss. And there's not a single moment when she mocks him. And at the end, she's like, I see your eyes in your son's eyes. And that for that reason, he cannot be evil, even though it goes against all of her teachings. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just love that. It's such a beautiful line. Mm, and also just, there's this rawness in her saying, no matter what happens, I will never tell anybody about your son. Because she knows way better than most what would happen to a peacekeeper hybrid. And oh yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's just so, there's this space now in the relationship for Dargo and Aaron where they could have a conversation like that, where she could express such empathy and where she could say something that I don't even know if she really believes now that, that you know, Sebastian hybrids are evil and that, you know, she has to keep the bloodlines pure. But she she can say what she's been taught, and Dargo doesn't get mad about it. He just gets kind of sad. It's it's a really yeah. good culmination of you know ten episodes of relationship building. Yeah, they can listen to each other now, and they have they have enough trust between them and enough respect there that they can say these difficult things to each other without the other one taking it on bad faith mm -hmm. or as an attack. I guess they have the good faith in each other to understand that they're not trying to be hurtful. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I want to play one last clip because it is the funniest, it is the second funniest because I'd forgotten that Rigel about like, what are you talking about my mother? <laughs> but it's where John and Aaron are walking around. It's after she's gotten glued to the floor. And he's trying to get her out of it. Because <laughs> I want to end on this note of like, rather than like the sappy, like, Aaron, Darka, like, oh, God, I love their relationship. I want to end on this note. Excuse me for being careful, but this stuff could eat through your skin down. Okay, to the so let's avoid that. My thought exactly. So pipe down and hold still. You know, I'm going to track down this little droid and rip off both his antennae. <sighs> happy place, Aaron. Go to your happy place. Look, there's obviously something wrong with the DRDs. We just gotta figure out what it is before they do some serious damage to the ship. If they haven't already. Okay. Try it again. Oh. Good. Oh. Oh, good, good. It's, it's working. Oh, wonderful. At this rate, I'll have two whole fingers freed by tomorrow. <laughs> it's good. You're being funny again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah. I love it. Because the look she gives him is like, I was not being funny, jerk. Erin <laughs> <laughs> is a master of sarcasm. It's great. I love it. So on this week on, on White Shirt Watch, we have John wearing the gray shirt again that we still don't know where it came from, and black pants, cargo pants. So not peacekeeper pants, though. I'm like, interesting. Yeah, we haven't gotten to the sexy pants phase of the show yet, but we will. you will definitely notice when it happens, and we'll definitely let you know. 
John Crichton's wardrobe watch. <laughs> no, but yeah, I'm like, where does these where do these clothes come from? <laughs> yeah, the gray shirt is oh, well. a mystery. The mystery is the gray shirt. So we may never know where the gray shirt comes from, but we will keep you abreast of its appearance as it comes through. <laughs> um, what would you give this episode? I would give this one a four. I really liked it a lot. And I think it sets yeah. up some really, it actually sets up two major plot lines for the rest of the series. It's very solid. You've got some great character interactions. You've got John and Aaron's relationship developing. You've got Aaron and Dar- Dargo, as we saw at the end. And also Dargo and Zan throughout this whole episode. I mean, they're interacting kind of as different people, but J- Zan is so gentle with him throughout that I just mm. love that. Yeah. I, I, I'll go with you on that. I would almost give it like a 4.5 just because I, yeah, it is such a, it's an episode that, like, you know how Leverage is a show about people that like each other? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is another, this is an episode that feels like a show about people that like each other, you know? Yeah. And, like, we, we go to different places from here. Like, they aren't always like this. But this is, like, a definitely a show about people that enjoy each other's company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Four, four and a half. I could do that. All right. So, next week, we will be watching Till the Blood Runs Clear, which... Doesn't that sound like a super cheerful episode title? (laughs) (laughs) It's great, though. I'm looking forward to it. I know it is, actually. Yeah, it's good. So if you enjoy the podcast and if you want to hear more about Darga's Bad Plans, then please rate us on iTunes because that's how other people can find us. And otherwise, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.